everyone. Welcome to Shrinks Talk Shop, a podcast where psychotherapists share their thoughts with you, and you don't have to be a therapist to listen or to learn. Shrinks Talk Shop is a product of On Good Authority, a provider of continuing education for mental health providers. And I'm Barbara Alexander, the founder and president of On Good Authority, which is a website where mental health professionals can listen to interviews with psychotherapy experts and earn the continuing education credit they need to renew their licenses. First, a quote from this week's speaker, retired Judge Karen Mello, continuing last week's conversation. My son is never going to come home from college with a girl I disapprove of. That's, that's a level of normalcy we're not going to attain. But okay is a moving target. And if you're willing to adjust to what's okay, you can be okay. So now what happens when your child turns 18 and legally you cannot manage anything in his life? That's a whole other catastrophe. And this is this is what the law says. And I have had people who should know better say this out loud to me. And I mean police, um, hospital personnel, attorneys. This is what they will say to you. The state of the law is that on the day your child turns 18, he is an adult. And if your child chooses to live on the street and starve, that's his business. And there's no way you can intervene. Now, in fact, there are ways you can intervene. And on the subject of what can a therapist do to help, I, I would suggest you tell the people. There are, I'm not your lawyer, I'm going, I'm going to, but there are practical things you can do. One of them is if it becomes necessary. If your child is violent, your child can't live in your home. Maybe you're going to get your kid an apartment if you can afford it. Maybe your kid is taken off, is wandering the streets. The police will not intervene. If your child has been released from a hospital and you can't find him, which is what happens. They just open the door and say goodbye. So you can't find your kid. You call the last hospital you knew he was in, and this is what they will say to you. We cannot tell you if your kid is here. We can only take a message, and if he is here, we will give it to him, and if he wants to, he can call you back. That's the state of the law right now. The, there are ways to get around this, and one of them is go, go to, this is not easy, go to court and get guardianship. Now, a therapist cannot tell somebody how to do that, but they can tell them that that possibility exists and that they should hire a lawyer. It seems crazy to think that you should have to get guardianship for your own child. But you do, because because HIPAA says, I, the hospital, I, the therapist, cannot talk to you unless you're mentally ill, charged, usually your child, in my case, the child, it could be your spouse. I cannot talk to you unless they give me written permission. If your child is mentally ill or, more likely, really angry at you that you've hospitalized him, even though he's a danger to himself or others, your child is going to do everything to make sure you don't get anywhere near him again because you're the enemy who put him in the hospital. So he will not give permission. Or if your child truly is schizophrenic or in uh, or manic to the state that he's, he's hallucinating, he may have voices in his head that say, you are the devil. You're the last person he's going to allow near him. If you have guardianship, you have a piece of paper that, like a magic shield, overcomes all of that. They have to talk to you. 
they, they don't necessarily have to put you in the room with the child who's resisting seeing you, but they do have to talk to you on an official basis. And they do have to include you in, for example, a discharge conference, which is really important. What happens, do you, do you, are you going to open the door and put them on the street? And I will say this to anybody who lives in a big city, look around, all those people you see on the sidewalk, some of them for years and years, Almost all of them are mentally ill and not getting treatment, and every one of them had a mother and father. And those mothers and fathers became overwhelmed or frightened or fed up, and they abandoned their kid. So our, your goal as a therapist is to help the parent not, not get to that state. And if, the only way you cannot get to that state is if you have some practical tools to use to help you to get what you need for your kid. So maybe housing is the issue. I am in Illinois. It differs state to state. The reputation is that Oregon's the best for taking care of people with mental illness. There are some states in the South I would forbid my son even to travel through because they're the worst. But nobody's got a good system. But you as a therapist can say, here's what's available. Here's what you can do so that someday you don't come back to me weeping that you've lost your child, literally lost your child, that you could pass your kid on the street and not know him. And what set of psychological problems is that? If you have this guardianship, can you make sure that your over 18-year-old child has to stay in school or has to stay in special ed? No, no. (laughs) Special ed has to be available to a child till he reaches age 21 or graduates, one or the other. But Almost because, again, mentally ill people tend to be very bright. It's a paradox, but it's true. So they talk to each other. And there probably isn't an 18-year-old in any specialist school in the world who doesn't know that on the day of his birthday, he's legally free to walk out the door. And they do. Now, I was lucky. My son, at, at much pressure for me, took the GED and passed it. But that was the end of his education, and he was 18. Most people don't even get that. And what happens to your life if you don't have a high school education? It's that whole cascade of troubles that just keeps piling on. So now, your kid is 18. Here's what you can do with the guardianship. You can, as I have done, take that piece of paper without without your kid present and go to Social Security and say, I need disability benefits for my son. You can make that appointment and you can go and they have to talk to you. They will not talk to you otherwise. You can go to the food stamps place and say, my son needs food stamps. He does have to be present for when they take the picture for uh, the free bus pass, for a handicapped bus pass, if you live in a city that has that. But you can fill out the forms for him. You can, and this is very important, you can go to the three credit organizations, the TransUnion, all of those others, and you can say, I have guardianship. And I am putting a freeze on my son's credit account. And what that gets you is two things. It makes sure nobody is stealing your child's identity, which is more common than you'd imagine. And it also means your kid can't destroy his future by, you know, manically buying up everything in sight on credit that he should not be using. So if you have the guardianship, you can do that. If you don't have it, no one will talk to you. We're in the middle of an interview with Karen Mello, and I'm Barbara Alexander from Shrinks Talk Shop continuing our conversation. It is my experience that after taking care of my child for his entire life, I had an ambulance take him out of a place where he was 
living in four feet of garbage and starving to death, literally starving to death, where he had to be first treated medically with an IV to because he was dehydrated. And even with all of that, even though I initiated that, I had a doctor turn her, a doctor, MD psychiatrist, turn her chair around, refused to speak to me. I walked around to the front of her, this is before I got guardianship, and said, I know you can't talk to me, but you can listen. Here's his medical history. How do you expect to treat him without a medical history? The magic of the piece of paper with the guardianship is she won't turn her chair around. It's really... So if you are a therapist, let people who are not lawyers like me know that this exists. There's a whole system out there, which is hard to game, which is not entirely helpful, but it's better than nothing. I'm just sitting here shaking my head. It's just... Well, I am not the first to comment on the state of mental health treatment in the United States of America, but I'm one of the loudest voices. (laughs) (laughs) But it's like beating your head against the wall. No one's listening. You know, the only time anybody talks about treatment for mental illness is when there's a mass shooting. And then they're not talking about help. They're talking about punishment. Right. Let's get those people... Let's get them. Let's get them sequestered. Let's get them locked up. Let's make sure they don't have guns. How, you know, I it would it would disturb your sound man if I scream now, so I won't do it. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, so here you have a son who's thirty-one years old. What do you do for him? And we need to understand this. Just because the person is thirty-one doesn't mean that his parents aren't still involved. Well, of course not, because your child is helpless forever or some degree of help. So let's suppose you're a therapist and I come into you and I say, I, as, as by the way, would also happen if my child had, was say autistic. It's the same situation. I would come to you and as a therapist on my own, not with my child, my adult child. And I would say, I don't know what to do. I'm 65 years old. I'm not going to live forever. What's going to happen to him? Well, again, you're a therapist, you're not an attorney, but you can say there are lawyers who specialize in this. You can find a lawyer who specializes in a special needs trust. Know the vocabulary. As a therapist, if you point them in the right direction, they have something to go on. Here's what a special needs trust gets. A special needs trust means my, an adult who is on disability, by law, cannot own more than $2,000 worth of anything, aggregate, anything. So they are by definition destitute. If you die and you leave anything, property, money, anything to your child, it triggers the cessation of their disability benefits, which could mean also their Medicare, no more Medicare, no more subsidized housing, whatever else they're getting under the system, the end. Most parents aren't you, of course. No, and and I worry about that. You know, I start a lot of sentences where, if I am not your mother, what happens to you? And I'll tell you what happens. If I if I or someone like me, and there's plenty of strong people, mothers and fathers, there's plenty of strong people. There's plenty of people who do their best to be informed and involved, and engaged. But if your parent is not one of those people, or if if your parent is themselves mentally ill, because there's some hereditary piece here. So if for any reason your parent is not able to advocate for you, then here's what happens. Your kid ends up homeless or in jail or dead. 
And usually it's a combination of those three things. So your child might be dead because he committed suicide. He might be dead because he's so strange that somebody picked him out for for abuse. Or he might be dead because he's so unmoored from reality that he has stopped eating, stopped finding a way to have money to buy food. There's lots of ways where they can end up dead. They can end up dead because unenlightened police arrest them, and instead of taking them to a hospital, they take them to jail. In jail, same situation. They're not medicated. They're um, odd. They get beat up. They get beat up sometimes by policemen who, who give them orders that they don't obey. They look like they're being obstinate. What they're being is mentally ill. Well, these are very important ideas and concepts and explanations. And is there anything else that you want to add before we close? Final words of advice. I'm sure I could go on for days. But yes, here's my final word. Don't give up. There are, in spite of what I've spent an hour talking about, there are things that can be done. And if you're very lucky and very persistent, your very sick child could have a semblance of a normal life. Now, as I've encapsulate the notion this way, my son is never going to come home from college with a girl I disapprove of. That's, that's a level of normalcy we're not going to attain. But okay is a moving target. And if you're willing to adjust to what's okay, you can be okay. If, if what you want for your child is to be safe and engaged with the world on some level, if what you want is for you to continue to have a relationship with your child, even though he's peculiar or difficult, if that's what you want, you can get that. It just won't be normal. And you touched upon the notion that, of grief. You will go through every stage of grief because when you are pregnant and when your child is born, you have in your head a whole movie. His whole life set out for him. He's going to go to good school. He's going to find a wonderful woman. They're going to get married. I'm going to have beautiful grandchildren. We're going to have a loving home while he's growing up, and everybody's going to be happy, and none of that happens. And it doesn't go away at once. It goes away in stages. So every stage you get to is another opportunity for grief. And get through the grief, and just like any other kind of grief, most people do get through it, and then you move on. So it is not hopeless. It's terrible. And I'm telling you it's terrible. I'm okay now. And I'm that's not okay with a qualification. I really am okay now, except on the days when I have PTSD. So yes, it's terrible. Yes, you can be some version of okay. Wow. Thank you. Thank you so much, Judge Mello, for this <laughs> mind blowing interview. <laughs> We really can't appreciate. imagine what you're going to do with it. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to do good things with it. That was Karen Mello, and I'm Barbara Alexander. Here's what's on tap for our next podcast. You know, the temptation to assign diagnostic labels to public figures is hard to resist, especially when the behavior of those public figures is particularly outlandish. Narcissistic personality, sex addict, to suggest a few. But is it ethical for therapists to diagnose someone whom we have never met, much less clinically evaluated? On the other hand, is it immoral not to speak out if we perceive that public figure as dangerous? 
These are not easy questions, and our speaker next week, Dr. Mark Smaller, will address them. So don't miss it. And by the way, I'd love to hear your thoughts and comments about this program and any ideas you might have for future programs. My email address is info at ongoodauthority.com. And if you or someone you know would like to earn continuing education credit for listening to these podcasts, go to www.ongoodauthority.com for complete information. So until next time, this is Barbara Alexander thanking you for listening.